0: Good morning. This is uh, Sunday, the, the November 26th, the week of Thanksgiving. Hope you've had a wonderful week this week. Uh, I'm your guest for the week. Scott Utesh is my name, and I get to be with you this morning in place of Pastor Allen, who is headed to Rock Hill, South Carolina, to preach at his home church there. So uh, exciting for him to be able to do that, and exciting for me to be able to be with you this morning. My wife angie and i have been attending banner elk for a year and a half and we love this community and it's a real honor to be with you we're going to jump out of our study of the book of mark and we're going to look at psalm 19 today and uh but before we do that i want to pray and i want to tell you a story and then we'll jump into the psalm and then apply it to our lives so let's pray together father we thank you for the gift Of life and the gift of being together and we thank you for your word and its ability to uh, help us know you better and so we invite you this morning to come and to um, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you that we would know you better and be the people that you have called us to be and we thank you in the name of jesus amen well my wife angie and i have been married for around 30 years coming up this spring and Um, In our first year of marriage, I decided I really wanted to see what Angie did for work. So we were living in Raleigh at the time, and I was in an office downtown, and one day about lunchtime, I left my office and drove to Wake Medical Center on the east side of Raleigh, where Angie worked, and walked into the the first floor there, and at the bottom of the the hospital at the time, at least it may still be there, uh, is a big rehabilitation gym, and Angie... Uh, was a physical therapist there and so I walked in and we caught each other's eyes and she waved me over and she was with a patient a new patient for her and uh, she was assessing uh, where he was so that she could come up with a rehabilitation plan to get him better and she introduced me to him and he happened to be a retired medical doc Uh, his name was Dr. Martin if I remember right and but unfortunately Dr. Martin had had a stroke and uh, he was suffering the effects of that and he was sitting in his wheelchair and Angie was assessing uh, just how severe his condition was and what she had to do. So the first thing I noticed was she had a uh, a large belt wrapped around his waist and then she asked Dr. Martin, Dr. Martin I want you to stand up out of your chair and stand as tall and straight as you possibly can. And Dr. Martin began to do that and uh, Angie held him to make sure he didn't fall and then she confirmed with him again. She said, Dr. Martin, are you standing as tall and straight as you possibly can? And he said, yes, yes, I am. And I had uh, never seen a stroke victim before, but what I saw surprised me. I, he, Dr. Martin is obviously a very smart person, very accomplished person, but because of his stroke, he was leaning at an angle of probably 20 degrees from upright, from vertical. And, uh, it just it, it, it shocked me, and I couldn't believe that this is what he thought was straight up. And uh, Angie obviously got her assessment and came up with a plan and helped Dr. Martin. But I, I tell, you, tell you that story, the reason I tell you that story, is that each of us has not necessarily had a physical stroke, although some sadly may have. But we've all suffered a type of spiritual stroke. We're disoriented. Uh, we're bent. It's one of the devastating effects of the sin with which we are all born. We don't we don't think accurately about ourselves. we, we don't think accurately about our world and we we don't think accurately about God. Uh, we're crooked, we're, we're misaligned and it's a it's a condition we wake up with every day and we need help. Well the good news is that we have a great God who, like the best therapist we could imagine, has given us, um, some assistance. He hasn't left us on our own. Um, he doesn't leave us listing over like ships taking on water. No, he he has provided three wonderful resources for us to properly orient, uh, to think straight, and to walk straight. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Psalm 9, or Psalm 19, excuse me. It's a Psalm of David, and I'm reading from the NIV, and uh, the first six, six verses read this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The first resource that we have available to us, the first gift that God gives us to orient us, is his creation. And in this psalm, it's as if David is taking us on a walk outside with him and encouraging us to look up into the heavens, look up into the firmament, the expanse. And first of all, at night, with the stars shining brightly by the millions in the dark sky. And he's encouraging us to pay attention. Look at what you're seeing. Listen to what it is saying to you. There is a creator. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He's put on display for you a wonderful three-dimensional exhibit of his creative power. And like being able to sit and stare at the painting of a world-class artist, you have the opportunity to sit outside, look up, and take in the masterful strokes and the colors and the blazing stars of a powerful God. This creation is declaring, proclaiming, pouring forth speech displaying knowledge. David uses these verbs, and they're, they're active participles. They're, they're doing it. They're continuing to do it. They were doing it when he looked up, and they're doing it when we look up. And it's happening all over the world, among every people group, on every continent, above every ocean. It's accessible to everyone. Do you remember doing this for the first time? I do. I was 12 years old. Lying on my back uh, in the sand on the shores of Lake Erie in Ontario, Canada, with some friends at night. And far from the lights of Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, the stars were on full display, jumping out of the black sky. And I remember thinking, even as a 12-year-old boy, there's got to be more to life than me. Someone or something had to create this. I heard their message There's more to life than you. There's someone bigger than you behind the universe. There's a creator who put those stars in place. It was the first of many future reorientings in my life. And then then David looks up at the sky during the day, and what does he see? He sees the sun. The sun, something that primitive people were tempted to worship, but not, not David, not to him. It was another powerful example of an amazing creator who put that big fiery orb in the daytime sky. And he compares it to two things. First, he compares it to a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Well, what what does that mean? I I compare it to like a a happy husband waking waking up the day after his wedding to the woman he adores. Some of you have experienced that. I, I have. It was the feeling that I'm the luckiest man alive. I feel like a king, full of joy and fulfillment. And then David says it's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The word is actually mighty one. And it's like watching a Usain Bolt, the Jamaican gold medal track star, getting ready to run the 100-meter dash. He's smiling, he's laughing, proud to do what he's about to do, knowing he's about to bring it, right? He's about to bring it. And David's reflecting on the sun, following a path across the sky and heating up everything that it shines upon. And he's in wonder. David is observing God's creation and really meditating on it. And we can do the same thing. We already do some of this naturally. We, we look at the gift of God's creation, and it has an eloquence that day after day and night after night demonstrates God's power to order and to make. And you know this. It's, it's one of the many reasons why those of us who live here enjoy it so much, it's why some of you enjoy vacationing here. There's something that happens when we get out and immerse ourselves in God's creation. It, it reorients us. So we would do well to pay attention and listen to God's creation. Let me give you a couple examples of what this has looked like or what it could look like for us. Uh, the first comes from uh, a story of a friend of mine, Frank. He, he's an old buddy, a little older than I am, but he's my motorcycle buddy. And uh, we've ridden all over uh, the country, uh, but a couple years ago we were riding up from Charlotte and we stopped at Chestoa, uh, the overlook on the Blue Ridge Parkway, just south of Linville Falls, and we were staring out at that western edge of the Linville Gorge. Um, some of you are familiar with that. And Frank turned to me and he said, "Scott, which which way does water flow?" And I didn't want to sound stupid, but I, the best answer I could come up come up with was like, "Well, it flows downhill towards the sea." And Frank, I remember him turning to me and saying, most of the time, yeah, you're right, but look out there. Look at those millions of trees. He said, inside all of those trees, without the sound of or effort of a single pump, water by the thousands of gallons is flowing upward from the roots, through the trunks, out the branches to the leaves, all through God's amazing design. He called it the capillary effect, if I remember right. And that's the kind of God we have. He's powerfully at work, even when we can't even see it with our own eyes. Or, or consider this. You're sitting, hopefully, comfortably today in a chair and or somewhere relaxing, sitting on what is actually a huge rock that we call planet Earth. And as we sit here, in order for the Earth to rotate once every 24 hours on its axis, the, the surface of the Earth actually spins at a speed of, get this, over a 1,000 miles an hour. And, and simultaneously, in order for this planet to travel in its orbit around the sun in 365 days, we have to travel through space at a speed of over 67,000 miles per hour. And while that's all happening, the sun and the Earth and the other planets in our solar system are orbiting around the center of our galaxy at some 447 miles thousand miles per hour. But you and I don't have to worry about any of that. Why? Because we have a very capable God who not only set it in motion, but he sustains it by the power of his word. So don't believe the lies. This, this didn't just happen. The world belongs to God. He created it along with the entire universe. So let let God's creation affect you. It's a gift. Let it correct how you're thinking, how you're acting, how you're worrying, and how you're believing about God. He's powerful. He's capable. He has established order and boundaries and beauty in the universe. And that brings us to the second resource God has given us to correct our bentness. Not only his creation... But his word let's continue in Psalm 19 in verse 7 David tells us the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So in addition to God's creation, we have this second resource, this second gift to orient us, God's word. Listen to the qualities that David uses to describe God's word. Perfect. Trustworthy. Right. Radiant. Pure. Firm. Righteous. More precious than gold. Sweeter than honey. That is quite the list. And listen to the promises of God's word. Refreshing to the soul. Who doesn't need that? Making wise the simple. I need that. Giving joy to the heart. I'll take it giving light to the eyes, more of that please, uh, enduring forever, providing warnings about the dangers in life, and instructing you toward a rewarding life. The scriptures, they're, they're packed with delightful instruction. They're unending and dependable sources of God's wisdom, revelations of God's purpose to, to love and to save. They have such value, such benefit, such impact. It has so much to teach us about God. Um, The list is endless, but here's a few things we learn about God from the Scriptures. He cares about humanity. He's loving. He's holy. He works through human history. He has a plan to rescue humanity. He includes very broken people in his plan. And he values certain things. He values humility and faith and devotion and honesty and obedience and reconciliation. And it has much to teach us about ourselves. We're, we're made in his image. We are the highlight of his creation. He made us male and female. He made us for himself. He made us for relationships. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us hope. He offers us meaning. He offers us life. The New Testament writers and Paul himself wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So we benefit greatly from immersing ourselves in his word. And, and what of all these different titles? David uses words like law, statutes, precepts, commands, decrees. Well, it means that means that scriptures come to us in different forms. It, come to, it comes to us in poetry like the book of Job or the Psalms like we're reading or Proverbs. It comes to us in story. In the historical counts of Genesis and Exodus and first and second Samuel and others it comes to us as law like the Ten Commandments and Leviticus it comes to us as prophecy as Daniel and Ezekiel attest and so we do well to read those types of scriptures differently right if it's poetry we read it like poetry so we're in this psalm and David uses the analogy of a son we don't we don't have to figure out well what's who's the who's the bride and you know no it, it's creative language that, is used to engage our imagination. If it's laws, we, we obey it, and we do it in light of the full teachings of Scripture, especially what Jesus has to teach. And if it's story, we, we have to read it like story. Um, I think of like reading through Jacob one time and reading about all, all of a sudden this guy, you find out he's got all these wives, but it, it doesn't explicitly say that having multiple wives is right or wrong, and you're kind of waiting for that to be spoken. But as you read the story, You get to the place where you read, well, the sons of one wife are trying to kill the sons of another wife, and you realize, it's a complete mess. Having multiple wives is a terrible idea, but it's a story, so it doesn't come out and explicitly tell us what to do or not to do, but we learn from the story. God's Word, it's a life-giving resource to orient us. And frankly, it's one of the things I love about this church. We're always opening up God's Word. On Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, at our summer potlucks and the various small groups throughout the week, opening up the Bible and letting it orient us, orienting us about ourselves, about the world, and about God. So in addition to immersing ourselves in the language of God's creation, we would do well to immerse ourselves in the amazing Word of God. And that brings us to the third resource, God's Son. See, we know something that David didn't. Or he may have only caught a glimpse of it in a, in, a, in a distant way. But God's Word doesn't just come to us in written form. It comes to us in a person. Uh, the Apostle John writes this in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the gift of Christmas. God becoming a human being born in the manger. It's what we're about to celebrate for the next four weeks of Advent. It's an amazing event, an amazing gift. Uh, the book of Hebrews right, says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus told one of his disciples in John fourteen nine. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So like Pastor Allen has been doing on Sunday mornings with us in the Gospel of Mark, we've been looking at Jesus. Who is he? What does he reveal to us about God? What does he say and teach and how does he treat people and what does he what does he do? And again the lessons are endless, but here are a few worth mentioning. He cares deeply about people. He welcomes the outsider. He comforts the downcast. He confronts the arrogant and self-righteous. He honors women. He loves the children. He wants to liberate people from bondage, bondage to sin, bondage to disease, bondage to fear, bondage to death itself. He teaches us that God's name is Father, and we learn that he doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to follow him. Well, how about us? What what do we learn from Jesus about ourselves? Again, the list is endless, but here's a couple thoughts. We learn that we need him. We learn that we can't fix ourselves. We need him to rescue us. We learn that we don't have to pretend or to fake it. And like we heard last Sunday in Mark chapter 2, Jesus didn't come for people who think they're righteous, but for people who know they're sinners. And we watch him on the cross, And what do we learn? We learn a lot, but we learn we matter to God. We learn that he loves us. We learn that God would rather his son suffer a brutal death in our place than have us spend eternity separated from him. And as we see Jesus, we see God's son that way, we we walk a little straighter. And we look at the empty tomb, and we learn that he triumphed over death. He's defeated our enemy. God's plan worked. He went through the doorway between the now and forever and ripped the doors off the hinges. We have hope beyond ourselves, beyond our sin, and beyond the grave. And more than the sun in the sky, He truly is the mighty one who rejoices to accomplish His task. And we walk a little taller as a result. And we consider Him, lastly, we consider Him ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and we learn that He has authority over everything. He's waiting for his father to bring everything together under his rule. And he's waiting to come again for us. More than the sun in the sky, he is the groom. He is rejoicing to marry his people and show them love in a way we've never known. And we walk a little more humbly. And we walk a little more courageously. Because Jesus is the king. So there you have it. God's creation, God's word, and God's son all incredible gifts that God has given us to help us walk upright. So what do we do? Well, four things. First, we have to admit that we're bent. And this might be the hardest part, truthfully. It's what David did. Look at the last part of Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David comes to God and he acknowledges that he is bent. He asks the question, who can discern their own errors? It's a rhetorical question and the answer is no one. There are things in his life, errors in his ways that he is unable to even see and address. Like Dr. Martin, thinking 20 degrees off center is standing straight. There's things he's just not even aware of in himself. And he prays, keep your servant from willful sins. There's something defective in him that even he knows, when he knows what's the right thing to do, he doesn't do it. And if he knows the thing not to do, he does it anyway. He's bent, like me, like you. And he cries out to God for help. And we need to follow his example. We need to cry out to God. God, I need you. I'm bent. That's the first thing we do. The second thing is we need to pay attention to God's creation. Get out in it. Listen to it. Let it affect how you think about yourself and how you think about God. The third thing, we need to pay attention to God's word. Read it. Study it. Learn from others as they teach it. Let it instruct you. Let it correct you. Let it guide you. And fourthly, We need to pay regular attention to God's Son. It's what we're doing on Sunday mornings but he has things to teach you and show you about yourself, about his Father, our Father, and about his purposes for us in this world. Bottom line, God has not left us alone as disoriented and bent people. He has given us the gifts of his creation, his Word, and his Son. May we allow them to teach us to walk upright, straight, and tall to the glory of our amazing Creator, Savior, and King. Amen.